You're listening to Pulse Radio. everybody this is randall barnes the host of post radio in the building for another special edition of the show on today we're gonna be recapping day two of the nba playoffs on an nba sunday four games a lot of great energy it's up against the hawks in the heat yeah um that game was rough it was um it was a lot <laughs> Is not too much to say, but a lot to say at the same time. Um, the first thing I'll say about the Hawks and the Heat is that I am room for the Hawks. I am now a Hawks fan um, because I wanted to be a fan of a team, right? So I'm a Hawks fan, and I live in Georgia. I've always really been a fan of the Hawks, and I was a big fan of the Hawks back when Joe Johnson and Josh Smith and the crew were going off against the Celtics back in the day. Um, but I became fans of players, but I'm like, you know what? I don't want to do that as much anymore. I'm a fan of LeBron. I'm a fan of Chris Paul. I am a fan of Trey young, but I want to be a fan of an organization. So that really led me to loving the Hawks because I saw that run and I'm like, man, like they finally have a team. They finally really can go, you know, and it's been a rough year this year because the Hawks have not been that wiry four fifth seed this year. It's been a lot of ugly losses but I'm happy that the Hawks are in the playoffs and Trey Young is honestly the best point guard in the league. But what you saw on today with the Miami Heat is exactly the same thing that you saw with Nikola Jokic and the Nuggets. When you have one transcendent player and a bunch of average players around him, it's a recipe for for disaster. Because in a playoff setting, and really in any setting, but especially the playoffs when all the games are high leverage games, I can just trap you and get you out your offense because Trey Young is the offense versus a team like the Warriors who have a prolific offense and have multiple weapons on in that offense. And then even the Timberwolves, which we saw in the play-in tournament on last Tuesday, where the Clippers took Cat out the game. He had 11 points, 3 of 11 shooting. Terrible game. But Anthony Edwards stepped up. D'Angelo Russell stepped up and they had an amazing games and D'Angelo Russell stepped up after the first quarter, really after the first half, because he didn't do great that first half. He started making buckets in the second half. And that's the reason why they made it to the playoffs. And you saw even on yesterday that D'Angelo Russell had a rough game, but Cat and Anthony Edwards went in. Trey Young does not have a Carl Anthony Towns. Trey Young doesn't have an Anthony Edwards. It's just Trey Young. John Collins came back. I would give him a pass because I applaud him for coming back because he's supposed to be out for longer with that injury, to be honest. He's supposed to be out for way longer. So he came back because it's the playoffs and Clint Capella was injured and the Hawks needed something. But in a team game with a well-rounded team, you need every piece of your roster to compete with a team such as the Miami Heat. And the loss of Clint Capella mattered. Clint Capella is someone that can get you rebounds, he can get you points, and he's a lob threat for Trey, and he's a great defender in the interior. What you saw this game is that you saw the Hawks be woefully ineffective from the three-point line. The Hawks shot 27.8% from the three-point line, and they had more attempts than the Heat. The reason why is because there was no one for the Hawks that could get in the paint and be a consistent interior threat. Clint Capella would have. And Clint Capella would have been a lob threat, and Trey Young could have got going off getting Clint Capella going. And the game could have, at the very least, been respectable. There's nothing that the Hawks can do when the Heat decide that they're going to throw the whole kitchen sink at Trey. There is nothing that can be done. We saw a bit of what the Heat were going to do with the Cavaliers. 
because you saw that they switched Laurie Marketing and they switched Jared Allen on Trey Young on Friday. What you see, what you saw today was you saw Bam Adebayo, you saw a bunch of looks with Jimmy Butler being on Trey, you saw P.J. Tucker guard Trey. It's the exact same thing, and at some points, they trapped Trey and got the ball out of his hands. Now against Bam Adebayo, who's a way better switchable big than Jared Allen, and he can move on his feet, and he's not going to be easily crossed up by Trey. Trey had to think twice. It wasn't, hey, I'm going I'm to blow past Bam Adebayo. They're forcing Trey to be the hero, and then after a while, they say, listen, take the ball out of his hands. We're going to force anybody but Trey to beat us. And that's the defense you typically run when you have one transcendent player or at the very least one star player. Honestly, if game two is like this, the Hawks are not going to win. They're going to be swept. You know, one of of my homeboys from Fort Valley State University, my college, uh, he's a big Boston Celtics fan. He said that the Hawks are going to be beaten and, and just destroyed by the Heat. He said Heat in three. Not even a fourth game, Heat in three. Well, he'll be right if game two goes like this because if game two goes like this after you have two days to practice and Nate McMillan has time to watch game film and Trey Young has time to watch game film and say, hey, here's what we could have done and here's the adjustment that we'll make, it's not going to be seven games. I'm going to be wrong. It's going to be four games. And with what I saw from the Miami Heat, they're playing like they want to make it back to the NBA Finals. With how they're playing, they're going to make it to the Eastern Conference Finals and play the Bucs. And it's going to be Bucks versus Heat for the Eastern Conference. Now, I know we can't make assumptions off of one game, but I watched this Hawks team all season. And what I've seen this season, and also we know that Clint Capella is going to be out for at least a week with a, with a hyperextended knee. I don't see any way that the Hawks can really adjust to the game plan that the Heat threw at them because the Heat are going to play football with them. And the Heat are playing like how I expected for the Knicks to play. And that's the funny thing about it. The Heat are playing like I thought the Knicks would play against the Hawks because I thought that the Hawks were going to be the finesse, red-hot offensive team, and I thought the Knicks were going to beat them up because that's what I saw the Knicks do in the regular season to a lot of different teams. I saw them just beat them up. If the Hawks don't figure out a way to get around the aggressive defense, they blitz Trey. Trey's looking at three or four different defenders that are all taller than him. He couldn't get a shot off. Like when he finally drove to the basket, he was swarmed by three different players. He couldn't even get a shot off. So he had to try to manufacture a pass. And like Gallinari and some of these other players just weren't ready. He had one real pretty pass. He saw a real nice angle. And then Gallo just couldn't get it. And I think Clint Capella would have because he had one of those passes he made. If, if, if he, if he got that pass off and they made, I would have been like, Whoa, Trey young is that guy when it comes to passing the ball and creating shots for his teammates, but he just couldn't do it. And I wasn't blown away by the offense of the Miami heat. I wasn't completely blown away to be 100% honest. I, I wasn't blown away because the Miami heat in that first quarter, they weren't getting buckets. The Miami Heat should have run away with, 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 with the lead. It should have been a 30-point game because the Hawks only made th- like two or three shots, man. They made two or three shots in the first quarter. They only made two or three shots in the first quarter. So I was like, man, like the Heat should be playing better. But Jimmy Butler was not going in like that. Duncan Robinson had 26 points coming off the bench. When I look at the box score for the Miami Heat, I see Jimmy Butler had 21 points. Kyle Lowry had 10 points. P.J. Tucker had 16 points. You had Duncan Robinson with 27 points. Tyler Hero only had six points. He was missing a lot of point-blank layups. So for me, I I didn't really see too much great scoring from the Miami Heat. I just saw a lot of blown defense from the Hawks. Because what the Hawks can't do, like, man, y'all cannot just sit out there and then when you see Jimmy Butler or Kyle Lowry drive in, let Duncan Robinson get an open three-pointer. You can't let Gabe Vincent get an open three-pointer. <laughs> you, you, you can't let P.J. Tucker get an open three-pointer in the corner because it's not going to be a good night for you or a good afternoon, good evening, good morning. It's not going to be good for you. And that's what I saw. 
the Heat were able to hit their open shots at an effective clip, and the Heat are a good three-point shooting team, and they show that they're an advanced and elite defensive team. And if the Hawks do not acquiesce to that, it's going to be a long series or a short one. It's going to be a long series. It's going to feel long for the Hawks, but it's going to be a short one because the Hawks going to get swept. So game two, to me, is the deciding game. If they don't win game two, I don't think they, they win any other game in this series. I think they might win game game four to not get swept because it's just Trey Young and Trey Young just the, just that guy. But I'm telling you, it's not going to be pretty if they don't adjust in game two. And to be honest, I don't know how you adjust because I think the adjustment you make is in the offseason and getting more scoring. Like th That's the only adjustment I can see. You try to lure you a, a, a star player like a Donovan Mitchell-esque player because clearly Donovan Mitchell going to leave if they lose this playoffs. Like you try to maybe try to put together a trade package for Donovan Mitchell. You try to get you someone else that can take the scoring load off a of tray. And that might require you getting rid of John Collins. That might require you getting rid of Clint Capella. But that's really what's needed. I don't see anything that they really could do, but that's why I'm not the coach. That's why I'm not Nate McMillan. I'm just the guy that's reacting to the game. So Nate and Trey know way more basketball than me. So maybe they saw something out there. Because the only thing I saw is y'all can't let the Heat get these open three-pointers. Y'all know exactly what they're going to do. Because it's not like Jimmy Butler had 50 points. He had, he had 21. He, and he got he got a few of those points in garbage time because the game was over. Because it was a little bit of a semblance of, hey, the, the, the Hawks can come back. Then they squashed that and got the lead up to about 30. And Jimmy Butler was still in the game, scoring and ones, barking on the crowd, sort of front running, to be honest. So Jimmy Butler really had about, I would say, 13, 14 impactful points. About 13 or 14 without the garbage time points. So I mean, to be real, I mean, unless DeAndre Hunter is going to play up to his potential, Unless Gallo can give you, like, what? Gallo was, like, the leading scorer for the Hawks. Gallo had 17 points. DeAndre Hunter had 14 points. He got most of those points in garbage time. Unless Gallo's going to get you 25-26, which you should expect from Trey Young, it's, it's a sweep. I'm going to be totally wrong because I said Heat in seven is going to be Heat in four, and they're going to be waiting for the 76ers, and they're going to do the exact same thing they're doing to the Hawks. Man, they're going to put Joel Embiid in a straitjacket. And then we'll see what happens. We will see what happens with the Bucs. Because it's a little mini rivalry going on. But this is if the Hawks don't get it together. So I'll be watching game two. It'll be on TNT. Now, let me address this. Do I believe that they should have put the Grizzlies and the Timberwolves game two on TNT? I do. I'm honest. The Hawks and the Heat should have been on NBA TV. And I know. I know I'm a Hawks guy. And I know that I want my team to get national TV exposure. But number one, I don't want my team to get national TV exposure and get beat down by 30. Okay, that's number one. But the Grizzlies and the Timberwolves are going to be a closer series than you think. And that's going to be the best series of the playoffs. And you would think, oh, they they bumped the Grizzlies and, you know, the, the, the Timberwolves for the Celtics. No, it's because it's the Heat and the Hawks. And they did that primarily because the Heat are the, are the number one seed. So it's like number one seed privilege. That's why, that's why they did that. But I would rather see the Timberwolves and the Grizzlies on TNT. But I got NBA TV, so it don't matter. I got NBA TV and I got League Pass. So it does, does it really matter? It, it doesn't. Um, but the folks that don't have it, I feel sorry for y'all. Um, but, I mean, I would just say get the bootleg. I'm, that's all I would say. But, I mean, hey, we'll see what happens in game two. Miami Heat, great defensive effort, great offensive output from the three-point line. Pat Riley is a mastermind, and Eric Spolster, he honestly is, is one of the best coaches in the game because he will cook up a defense to lock down your star player. So I'm interested to see what the rest of the playoffs look like, look like for them, but I hope the Hawks can give them a run for their money. All right, so let's talk about the scariest seven seed in NBA history. Oh, my gosh, the NBA should be scared Oh, my gosh, this is the best team on earth. My, 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 Steve Nash, Coach of the Year, Kevin Durant, the GOAT, Kyrie, they just held him back. But they just lost to the, to the Celtics 115 to 114. <laughs> Kevin Durant had probably one of the worst games of his career 
and Kevin Durant made honestly such a questionable call at the end of the game to shoot a fadeaway contested three-pointer. But I don't blame him. I don't blame him. I blame Kyrie. So, so much to say about this game, and I'm going to be brief. So, I don't fully blame Kevin Durant for that shot. I just wish he would have gone. Well, I'm not room for the Nets, but I wish he would have gone for a higher percentage shot if I were a Nets fan. Because that fadeaway, one-legged shot when your defend the defender is so close up on you, he almost fouled you. That wasn't the shot. Now, if you made it, hey, Kevin Durant's made crazier shots. But that wasn't the highest percentage shot in a game where Kevin Durant just hasn't been on it, number one. And Kyrie Irving was like, it was a black hole. He got that basketball, like y'all let him score 39 points. He was 12, he, he was 12 or 20 from the field. And he was he started to fill it. And he held that ball for too long at the end. It came down to a last second shot. Kyrie hit a three-pointer to put him up 114 and 111. They then wrote, they then go back down and Jalen Brown gets an easy layup. So they so the Celtics didn't come back. No timeouts were called. The Celtics didn't come back. And then Kyrie dribbles the ball for almost half of the shot clock. He gives it to Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant has like what, like nine, eight seconds to try to do something. He could have drove, but the defense sort of pushed him out. But he could have had another angle to get one of his patented mid-range shots, get separation and pull up. But he missed it. The Celtics get get the rebound. Jalen Brown gets the ball on the side. He Passes it to Marcus Smart, who did an up fake. Two defenders came to him. Marcus Smart had a clear, open lane to the basket. He had an open shot. But Marcus Smart is not the offensive player that Jason Tatum is. And when I when I saw Marcus Smart was wide open, I was like, yo, what are you doing? I wasn't, like, inflammatory with it, but I'm like, the game is about to end, bro. What you about to do? And he happened to get it to Jason Tatum, who easily – Blew past Kyrie, who did not know what was going on. He laid it up right as the buzzer sounded. Game over. Game over. This is the team you're supposed to be scared of? This is the scariest seven seed? This is the team that, quote-unquote, the Bucks tanked against the Cavaliers so they wouldn't have to play the Nets. This is the team? Listen. I think the Nets fans are amazing. I honestly do. I think Nets fans, they're, they're one of the best fan bases, especially on Twitter. I'm a big Twitter Spaces user, and they're one of the best fans on Twitter because I think they're reasonable. I think that they're smart basketball people, and they've been in the trenches, man. Like They were around when the Nets were, weren't about nothing. They were around after that crazy trade when, they, when um, the Nets acquired – Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett. Like they were there for the aftermath of that. And now you have Kevin Durant, one of the best players in the league, Kyrie Irving, a clutch performer, and he's one of the best players in the league. So I understand the excitement. I understand them being happy. And a lot of these nonsensical takes about, you know, the Nets and how powerful they are as a team, they're not even coming from Nets fans for real. They're coming from the media because the media is so lazy. There is nothing that the Nets showed me in the last few games. Like, we can go back front to, to a, a couple of days, a couple of games, go to the Pacers. Bro, do you realize that the Pacers were god-awful this year? And the Pacers very well could have beaten the Nets on the last day of the season on last Sunday. Do you realize that? Like, were y'all watching the same game I was watching where the Nets, like, the, the Nets were up by what? They were up by, like, 20 points. And Tyrese Halliburton and Buddy Hill and them mounted a comeback until it took Kyrie Irving starting to cook for y'all to win against a lottery team on the last day of the season? Then y'all, and then the playing tournament, y'all have a 40-point quarter, and the Cavaliers still were keeping it within... 17 to 13, then they made a run and almost won the game, but it took Kyrie and KD to save you. And Nick Claxton made some good shots. Bruce Brown stepped up. That happened. But it took your two ISO players to save you against the Cleveland Cavaliers who choked the lead to the Hawks and they're now sitting at home. God bless them, had a great season, but they're not in the playoffs. Are you kidding me? And today, they couldn't handle the physical defense of the Boston Celtics. It took an ungodly game, a 39-point game from Kyrie Irving when he was back in his bag. He was in his duffel bag 
Kevin Durant doesn't show up. And what happens? They lose. I heard all week, oh, Robert Williams is out. Oh, the interior defense is going to be terrible. The Celtics aren't going to be the same. Offensive rating, defensive rating. But Robert Williams don't play defense for the Nets. Who's helping the Nets defense? Because what I saw was I saw two straight layups where Jalen Brown got to the basket with ease. And I saw Jason Tatum get to the basket with ease. Your boy Kyrie right there saw him lay it up. He, he, had, a, he had a front row seat to see a historic game winner. Jason Tatum's first game winner, the first Boston Celtics game winner since Paul Pierce in 2010. He had a front row seat for it. I just don't know what to do with the Nets, man. The Nets aren't good. They're not a good team. They are predicated on Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving having 40-point games, and in 2022, that's not sustainable. You need a team. Well, the Celtics, the Celtics had a team effort. Just at the end of the day, the Celtics had a team effort. When you look at the stats, you had Jason Tatum 31 points. Al Horford 20 points and 15 rebounds. But, oh, Robert Williams is going. Al Horford stepped up. Jalen Brown, 23 points, five rebounds, three assists. Marcus Smart, 20 points, seven rebounds, six assists. Teamwork. You had four players that scored over or that scored over 20 points. You look at Brooklyn, Kyrie Irving, 39 points. Kevin Durant, 23 points, nine of 24 from the field. Nick Claxton had 13 points, but missed the free throws when it mattered. Goran Dragic had 14 points. But why, why were they doing a small ball lineup when the Celtics never went small? I mean, theoretically speaking, Al Horford is like 6'9", six 6'10". Six so you could say he's a, he's a small big. But they didn't intentionally go small and say, hey, we're going to go small for, for switchability. Ime Udoka didn't do that. Ime Udoka's coaching circles around Steve Nash. Mike Breen said, oh, Steve Nash is fired up. He wants to be out there on the court. Steve Nash is basically a player on the bench. <laughs> He he sits there and lets Kyrie and Kevin Durant dictate the offense. He, he he's a traveling fan. <laughs> he just sits there. No no adjustments. No defensive adjustments. Nothing. No offensive adjustments. Just hey, Kyrie here, Kevin Durant here. That's not winning basketball. But I sat here. And heard y'all all week, all, all last week, all after the Nets won the Cavaliers game. Oh, I heard Chris Broussard on my favorite show, First Things First. Oh, the Nets are going to win the championship. You have to have a team. We've never, outside of outside of Akeem Olajuwon back in the 90s, we've never seen one single player or just two players and a bunch of basically scrubs win a championship. We never seen that. And Akeem Olajuwon had a team that was built well around him that 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 first year before he got Clyde Drexler. I've like I've never seen anything like this before in my life. The Nets are so overhyped and all of the glaring issues came out in the final like 15 seconds. Lack of defense, like no plays being run. It's just Kyrie or Kevin Durant here, everyone just sitting around watching them operate. That's the problem. And I just want to just say this, and I and I let you go. All right, I, I will move on. Why? I heard, I heard all these talking points about Robert Williams, and this isn't an original thought. I was listening into one of the net spaces, and one of the users said this, and I, I took a look. And I'm like, you know what? They're right. Why did the Celtics win the rebounding battle, forty three to twenty nine? But Robert Williams isn't there, right? Robert Williams is just a rebounding monster, defensive monster. Why didn't they win the rebounding battle if Robert Williams was just such a big blow to the Celtics? And he was a big blow, don't get me wrong. They want him back. Like, like Robert Williams is needed. But why didn't they take advantage? You have Andre Drummond, who is one of the best rebounders of all time legitimately. Why didn't y'all win the rebounding battle? I'm looking at Drummond's stats now. Drummond had four rebounds. He played, he played for 17. I'll get, he played for 17 minutes. I'll give him that. He played for 17 minutes, had four fouls, but primarily the four fouls did, did that because he got four fouls in the first half. But Steve Nash took Andre Drummond out so he could go small. And you had Kyrie Irving and Goran Dragic out there for the majority of the game. Nick Claxton got eight rebounds. I'll give him that. Nick Claxton was out there. He, he was the switchable big. He got eight rebounds, but they were still out-rebounded 28, sorry, 29 to 43. 
offensive rebounds, 14 offensive rebounds. 14 offensive rebounds. What does that tell you? <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying, what, what does that tell you at this point? I, I see rebounding as a hustle stat. And I just feel as if it's, I just feel as if the Nets don't be hustling, man, and and they just put all of their hopes like they gamble on Kyrie Irving or Kevin Durant having a good game, and Kyrie did, Kevin didn't. Now, do I expect for Kevin Durant to have a woefully inefficient game when when he's a historically efficient scorer? I'm not stupid. I don't expect that. I think that the, the series is going to be five games for the Celtics. I think that. The Nets might win this next game. They're going to make it interesting. They're going to split. They're, they're, they're going to steal home court advantage from the Celtics, and then we're going to see what happens in Brooklyn, possibly. But I don't. I don't think that. I don't think that Kevin Durant's going to have a woefully inefficient game again. But he has to adjust to the the pressure that they put on him, because they. Because and like I said, like Kevin Durant still had an okay game by his standards. It was a bad game. But I just saw Trey Young get eight points and hit like two field goals. With the with the pressure of the Miami Heat. Now the Celtics were not playing football with with the Nets. I promise you they weren't. They were getting physical, but the Heat were tackling people like all the new, like they would have had penalties. Like with some of the stuff Kyle Lowry was doing, and some of the stuff that that Jimmy Butler was doing, all the all them folks on, on the Miami Heat. But some of them stuff they were doing, they would have had flags on football, pass interference, <laughs> like roughing roughing the passer. Like, they would have been calling penalties on the football field on what the Heat were doing. The Celtics were not playing that physical. They were bodying KD up because they, like, that ball to now on Kevin Durant on that last play, I was surprised the refs didn't call a foul. They really swallowed their whistles because I thought on, on that, I think it was Tatum on them doing the ball to now when Kyrie had the ball. Kyrie was trying to get it to Kevin Durant, but what happened was Jason Tatum denied Kevin Durant space so he couldn't get a clean catch. And if Kyrie threw it over there, most likely Jason Tatum would have deflected it because he was attached onto him. So that forced Kyrie to try to make something happen. Then Kevin Durant got separation and got the ball. And then, like, it, he was covered. He was smothered. But they also trapped Kyrie, and Kyrie um, avoided the trap, and that's when he passed it to Kevin Durant, when Kevin Durant got separation. I'm telling you, like, this this notion of, hey, we're going to get one or two superstars, pair them together, and put minimum guys around them, I'm so glad that era is over. That era is over. It's time to, to have well-built teams. It's such a dearth of talent. You have so many great coaches in the league now, and Steve Nash, unfortunately, is not one of them. Email Doka got to Steve Nash. Maybe he should have been the coach of the Nets. If he was the coach of the Nets, I'd be scared. Because a good coach, plus Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, I'd be scared. But there was nothing in this game today, including Kyrie Irving's 39 points. That should have any team in the NBA playoffs scared. No one. The Bucs shouldn't be scared. The 76ers, the Heat, no one in the top four should be scared of no of no Brooklyn Nets. And the Boston Celtics definitely should not. But I can't wait for the rest of the series. This is going to be one of the more entertaining series. And this, this could eclipse the Grizzlies and the Timberwolves. But we'll see what game two looks like. Because I think that the Celtics and the Nets are going to run it back. It's going to be interesting. But there's nothing scary about it. And I think that this game today... And mind you, Monday, people are going to give their takes and all that. I think this game today shows you that the Nets are mortal. You cut them and they bleed. They bleed just like how Jason Tatum was bleeding. You cut them and they bleed. That's what this game showed us all. And we need to look at what's in front of us, not at the potential of what the Nets with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving can be this year. The year is over for them. The Celtics are going to soundly beat them because, because the Celtics have all the tools to. All right, so let's really quickly talk about the Bulls versus the Bucks. A lot of folks thought that this one was going to be a snooze fest. You know, we just had the game where Boston survived Brooklyn, the scariest team in the league. You know, it was a great game, great back and forth game. A lot of narratives. Twitter was on fire. You know, you had the playing tournament that we were watching from Friday to now. So folks were saying, listen, get some rest, go get some food, take a nap. Do something else. Go read a book because this Bucks, <laughs> this Bucks versus Bulls game was going to be just filler. Like this is the hey, you go go in and take a bathroom break because the Bucks were supposed to blow out the Bulls because the Bulls just aren't the same league as the Bucks. We were wrong. This game actually was probably the second most intense game 
of the weekend right next to the Boston and Brooklyn game. And I primarily hold it to the fact that Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday did not step up and did not really start getting buckets for real. Well, Drew Holiday started getting buckets, but like Chris Middleton just simply was not good this game at all. Chris Middleton was four for 13. He had 11 points. He only made one three-pointer, had two attempts at the free throw line, and he had six assists, but he wasn't really that impactful on the game. Giannis had five fouls, and he played with five fouls for pretty much half the game. And it was points in time where Mike Budenholzer took him out because he wanted to make sure that Giannis didn't get any ticky-tack fouls to get his sixth, and now you're playing without Giannis. When the game started, I thought it was going to be that snooze-fest game where I can just take a break. I can, you know, maybe get ready to watch Versus or do something else. I thought I could do that because Giannis was getting any shot he wanted to because Nikola Vucevic couldn't catch and check him. They got Patrick Williams back. So shout out Patrick Williams is back. I'm glad that brother's back. I thought he was done till next year. So shout out to him. So shout out to him for coming back. I want to shoot him the same bell and give him the same credence that I gave Collins in Hawks game because they're coming back from an injury, right? So John Collins is coming back from that, that nasty two injuries he had. And Patrick Williams hasn't played ever since like the preseason, I think. So for him to come back, I'm going to shoot him some bail. He has to get his reps up. But Patrick Williams is supposed to be, what, the paw? Like, y'all call Kawhi the claw. And I think Patrick Williams is supposed to be the paw. He's supposed to be like Kawhi Leonard light in his defensive skill. And I know checking Giannis is a tall task. But I expected him to at the very least slow down Giannis a little bit. Like, Giannis was getting everything he wanted to in that first half. What beat Giannis was that he was getting fouls, and it's the playoffs, so they were calling the game pretty tight. So he was getting a bunch of ticky-tack fouls, and he was in foul trouble, so he had to sit down. Like, that was the thing that really killed him. Like, Giannis only played 34 minutes. I, I really think that this game was close because the Bucks didn't play up to their fullest power. Chris Middleton had a typical Chris Middleton game, gave you 22, 23 points. The Bucks win this game handily. But they ended up winning 93 to 86. It was a very low scoring affair. They started off the fourth quarter. Iron Eagle said they're having a rock throwing contest. <laughs> I was like, Iron Eagle is the GOAT, man. Shout out to Iron Eagle. He said they they were just basically throwing rocks and it was bricks. No one was making shots. Like the whole entire field goal percentage in the fourth quarter was terrible. They could not, none of them could manufacture a shot. And primarily the Bucks couldn't because Giannis was on the bench because they didn't want him to get that sixth foul, which I understand. But that was when the Bulls could have taken off. And I want to point out, because we talked about the final stretch for the Boston and Brooklyn game, right? Where you had Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, they just didn't, they just weren't able to stop Jason Tatum. Who had a who had a just a straight open drive to the basket. He slashed to the basket. Marcus Smart was able to find him and he got that game winning layup. But we gave all that scoring to the Brooklyn Nets and Kevin Durant. We have to give that same energy to the Bulls on that last possession when you have Zach Levine that shot up an errant three when it sh they should have gone for two. Zach Levine was trying to be Steph Curry. Both y'all light skinned, but you're not Steph Zach, okay? Shot up a three pointer. He shouldn't have done that. And then they get the ball. You have Bobby Portis that inadvertently elbows Caruso. And Caruso goes down. And they're dribbling the clock out. Now, mind you, it was a two-for-one scenario. So you dribble the clock out. And the shot clock, I think it was a four-second difference between the shot clock. So it's going to be maybe nine or eight seconds when they finally shoot the ball. And you can run down and try another three-pointer. But the thing that you should have done is that you should have gone for a two-pointer, forced them to make a shot and make a dagger to take the game away, just like how it happened in the last game with the Nets and the Celtics. But taking that foul on Drew Holiday was not smart. When they made that foul, the game was over. Because I'm like, why are you fouling him in that scenario? Here's the thing that's funny, too, about that situation. Giannis wasn't out there. Giannis was on the bench because once again, they sat him down because he had five fouls. So they would periodically, every turnover and every whistle, they would take Giannis out, put him back in. Take Giannis out, put him back in. And Bobby Portis was playing in his place for defense because Bobby Portis didn't have an abundance of fouls like Giannis did. So Giannis was on the bench. So that means we're relying on either Drew Holiday or Chris Middleton, who has been struggling all day. 
Brooke Lopez is only really a catch-and-shoot guy. He's not like a, a ball handler type Giannis person. So the only person that really can kill me is honestly Chris Middleton. And Drew Holiday can get you a bucket too. But Chris Middleton is, is the person that typically is the closer. So Giannis isn't even out there. And y'all fouled, and then you put Giannis back in. And then Drew Holiday is a pretty good free throw shooter, and he made both his free throws. The Bulls didn't want to win this game, and they choked it. Like Vucevic, he had a very interesting stat line. He had, what, 24 points in 39 minutes, 9 of 27 from the field, 2 of 10 from the three-point line. Honestly, man, I do not know how he had 24 points. <laughs> like, I, 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 I got to go back. I got to go back and look because he had six points from three-pointers, the rest of them two-pointers. He didn't have a great game to me. He was missing a lot of point-blank shots. It was a shot that he could have made that was an easy layup that he missed. They had an opportunity to steal one. If they stole this game, this is going six because the Bulls got confidence. Giannis was in foul trouble. Giannis could have given you 40. Giannis, no one could stop Giannis, but the Bulls choked this game away. And that's just simply what happened. This was a better game than we all thought. This might be a better series than we thought. But the Bulls are going to kick themselves for this one. And if they end up getting swept or they end up losing five games or they end up even just losing game two, they're going to think back on that last possession when they fouled Drew Holiday, when they should have allowed them to dribble out the shot clock, force up a crazy shot. Giannis is not there to, to get in and try to drive in. They, they could have won that game or at the very least sent it to overtime. But Zach Levine trying to be the hero. We don't need a superhero. You ain't Spider-Man. We need smart basketball for you to contend with the world champs. So the Bulls messed up their opportunity. But we'll see what happens, you know, later on in this week when they play game two. I saw a lot of encouraging signs from the Bulls. Kobe White came in and was balling. He had a whole 5-0 run by himself towards the end of the third quarter. And Alex Caruso has become a really serviceable NBA player. He was a meme at first. He was a meme. But ever since he left the Lakers, his defensive IQ and his defensive acumen has been amazing. And he really affects the flow of the game just with his defense, how he works passing lanes, how he stays in front of his defender. He was giving Chris Middleton like, like some clean clapping him up. So Alice Caruso is doing his thing. And that is an encouraging sign. The impact that Caruso had on this game is immeasurable. So I want to see what happens game two. Because I think the Bulls can win game two. But they need to look at this tape and realize that they had it in their hands. Giannis is not going to get in foul trouble like that again. And you can't bet that Chris Middleton is going to have a game where he only scores 11 points. You can't bet that. Chris Middleton shot four for 13, made one three-pointer. That ain't happening game two. That's not happening. So they might have messed up their only opportunity to really try to stake a claim in this series. But we'll see what happens because the Bulls, they still have Zach Levine. They still have DeMar DeRozan. DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine had pretty pedestrian games. You know, DeMar DeRozan, 6 for 25 in 43 minutes. Zach Levine was 6 for 19. And Zach Levine had five fouls as well. DeMar DeRozan clearly is the best player on that team. If he doesn't play well, it's all a wrap. So DeMar DeRozan has to step up. He was a minus 5 and plus minus. He has to do better. Three turnovers, that was not going to work. Lit on the basket, no one was scoring, but DeMar DeRozan, you the man. You had all those, all the MVP chatter, all that different stuff. People would say they were going to vote for you. They were really talking about you as an MVP. Show me you're that guy when it matters. It's the playoffs. You have to avenge. You getting traded for Kawhi Leonard. This is your time, my brother. You got to make it happen. I'm just saying, though, but this was a better game than what I expected, and I'm actually very excited for this series now because the Bulls showed me something. But I just hope this wasn't a fluke and that the Bucks don't come back and thrash them game two. All right, so let's talk about the Pelicans versus the Suns, and I want to peel back the curtain for the second day in a row. I'm not even going to lie. It is Monday morning. <laughs> it's Monday morning. Um... What I realized, and I don't think I ever realized this, or maybe I'm just getting old, but watching like three days straight of basketball is actually very mentally taxing, especially when you do a recap on every game. You have to actually sit there and watch it because typically if 
I was not doing a recap on every game, I probably would have turned on verses on, on my TV. I would have done something else. I probably would have read a book, gone to sleep, done something else. Watch, watch DVR or something. Like watch Power um, Force like for, um, finale again. But because I'm trying to watch the games and trying to break them down, I have to sort of pay attention. And I must admit, in the first half where the Suns held uh, the Pelicans to 34 points, I was not paying attention. Like, I watched enough to sort of talk about it if it was a blowout and say, hey, the Suns are going to dominate. And I was going to easily just blow past this game and talk about the uh, the awards ballots, how they're the worst ever. We'll still talk about that. But the Pelicans actually put up a fight. They scored 34 points in the first half. But in the third quarter, they scored 37. And I want to say that that is the constructs of a great coach. You have a team that did not do what they needed to do in the first half. Willie Green probably got on them at halftime saying, listen, we did not come this far to get dog walked by the Suns. And they came out and said, you know what, Coach, you're right. And they scored 37 points, and the Suns were not expecting to get punched in the mouth like that. And by the end of the third quarter, they cut it to single digits on a Larry Nance, like, last second. What was that, a dunk or a layup? I don't even remember. I don't even remember, honestly. It was, it was like a last-second shot that Larry Nance stole the ball. They stole the ball from the Pelicans. He stole it back and laid it up at, at before the quarter ended. But Chris Paul is Chris Paul, man. I'm not going to lie to you. Devin Booker had probably, for me, the quietest 25 points I've ever seen from anyone. Because Devin Booker in that fourth quarter, typically it's him and Chris Paul closing out the game. Chris just said, listen, I'm not about to lose to a Pelicans team that theoretically speaking shouldn't even be in the playoffs. <laughs> like I'm not about to lose to a Pelicans team that most likely would have lost to the Clippers had it not been for Paul George getting COVID. Like I'm not about to lose to a Pelicans team that that that, dra- that drafted me when they were the New Orleans Hornets. I'm not about to do that. Like that's not about to happen. I'm not about to go down one oats with a team that is like 50 games under 500. Like, that's not happening. Like, these these boys are competing for a lottery pick. Like, they trying to get Chet Holmgren. I'm not about to lose to them. And that's just simply what it was. Like, Chris Paul, it's this narrative, and my brother pushes it all the time. It's this narrative that Chris Paul isn't clutch and that Chris Paul shrinks in the biggest moments. And I just simply don't know where that came from because I remember back in 2015, Chris Paul really on on by himself on that last second shot sent home the defending champion San Antonio Spurs that just beat the Miami Heat the big three Miami Heat and broke them up and LeBron went back to Cleveland I remember in game seven Chris Paul hit an an off-balance layup almost killed Blake Griffin because Blake Griffin tried to to, because I guess he thought that Chris was gonna miss it he tried to go up and tried to alley-oop it back in and it most likely would have been an offensive interference because Blake was hanging on the rim towards the end. But Chris banked it in. He arced it over Tim Duncan and sent the Spurs home, the defending champion Spurs. I'm old enough to remember that. I'm old enough to remember that Chris had a bunch of plays. He made a bunch of smart decisions in his playoff career where he was clutch and that he put teams away. And let's not forget that Chris Paul was the contributing factor to the Rockets going up 3-2 to two on the Warriors in 2018. And Chris Paul goes out with a hamstring injury. And guess what? The Rockets lose two straight, and the Warriors then win in seven games to go on and sweep LeBron James and the Cavaliers. Chris Paul is an impact player. He's one of the top five point guards of all time already. When he gets the ring this year, because he's going to win the championship, him and Devin Booker and the Suns, they're going to win the championship this year, as they should. He's going to finally be in that conversation because people only respect players with rings. And that's what that game turned into. I think the Suns let the foot off the gas because the Suns got bored. They haven't played. They hadn't played in eight days. The Pelicans just were too easy in that first quarter. They weren't doing anything that scared the Suns. C.J. McCollum had terrible efficiency. Brandon Ingram didn't really step up in, in, in that first half. The like the Suns just got bored, like they're human. I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's like you 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 watching the blowout. I'm pretty sure the players that are playing in the blowout are like, bro, can we can we sim this game like it's 2K? Can we sim this game so I can go home, like so I can I can I can go watch Power Book Book Four Force. I'm pretty sure some of them watch Force. They like, man, listen, like we didn't get a chance to watch it because we were practicing watching game film. I'm about to go watch Abbott Elementary on DVR. Like, can we sim this game? 
And but the Pelicans were like, nah, this game ain't over. And they and they gave the Sun a, the Suns a thrill. And that forced Chris Paul to go God mode, point God mode. But after they give it to the Pelicans, the Pelicans got fight. And the Pelicans would not be a number 10 seed or number nine seed if Zion Williamson played. I think you bring Zion Williamson back and Zion plays at the same efficiency that he did back last year before he got injured. I think that the Pelicans are dangerous. They're not a championship contender, don't get me wrong. But C.J. McCollum gave them life. Because C.J. McCollum still has it. And like I said before, C.J. McCollum is a great player, but you didn't see the levels of his greatness often because Dame was the primary ball handler in Portland, and Dame was the guy. C.J. has game out this world. He has handles. He's a natural point guard and a playmaker, and he's a prolific volume three-point shooter. Let's not forget how he destroyed the Nuggets back in the 2019 playoffs to get the Blazers to the Western Conference Finals against the Warriors. It was supposed to be Jokic and the Nuggets versus Steph, Clay and the Warriors without Kevin Durant because Kevin Durant got injured. That might have been Jokic's coming out party where Jokic made the finals. Who knows? Who knows what could happen? But CJ McCollum said, no, y'all not going nowhere. And CJ sent the Nuggets home almost by himself because if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, Dame Lillard did not have a good game that game seven in, in, in the West Conference semifinals against the, against the Nuggets. He didn't have a good game. So all I'm saying is that C.J. McCollum is that guy. Brandon Ingram's great too, but I think C.J. McCollum, because he's such a great scorer and he's such a great shooter, he's unlocked a lot of great offense for Brandon Ingram because now the defense can't key in on Brandon Ingram. And also, you have to respect CJ, so now Brandon can go ISO, because Brandon Ingram's a great ISO scorer, and also a great mid-range shooter. So he'll dribble and then pull up on you, he'll make them. So I think that that, that CJ has unlocked a lot of open looks and shots for Brandon Ingram. Imagine when Zion comes back, and now you have someone that can space the floor, and CJ, that's a weapon, he's a three-level scorer. Imagine Zion in there punishing switching defense and punishing small ball lineups. That would be a pretty dangerous team. And Willie Green is showing you he can coach his butt off. Willie Green knows basketball, and he was on that Suns staff. So him sort of getting the game from Monty Williams and seeing what Monty Williams does at, at like as X's and O's coach and probably the greatest adjustment coach in the game today, Willie Green is taking some of that to New Orleans. New Orleans had an amazing run. All you got to do is give the coach some players, man. Like, the Pelicans just needed some players. And what David Griffin, talk about David Griffin all you want to. What David Griffin did is that he went and got a baller in C.J. McCollum. He saw, hey, I can go get a high-impact guy that can change the culture of, of this team as Zion sits out, and that's what C.J. did. C.J. gave the Pelicans a whole different look. And I now think that possibly the Pelicans could get one on the Suns. Now, do I think it'll be a sweep? I am 80% sure that the Suns are going to sweep the Pelicans. However, I now believe that the Pelicans have a chance to win a game. They're not going to win the series, and this might be the best game that they play, but the Pelicans showed me something. They showed me a level of fight that, to be honest, is very endearing, and I have to give a shout-out to them, man. So shout-out to the Pelicans. Y'all did that. Y'all are in the playoffs, and y'all are doing it. While Zion Williamson, hand claps. Someone got to do it. Zion ain't doing it. Zion is doing all these windmill dunks and all of that. Zion needs to get out there and produce. That's all I'm saying. Zion needs to get out there and produce because Zion has a good team out there. If Zion goes out there and just gives us his, his 26 points on 63% shooting, man, I'm telling you, the Pelicans are going to be dangerous. That's why I'm looking at the Nuggets. Like, hey, are the Nuggets even going to really be a contender in this new Western Conference? Because imagine if the Pelicans get it together. Imagine that. And I know Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. And the thing about it is that Michael Porter Jr. hasn't truly hit his full potential. And the injury this year robbed him of that because he was going to be the certified second guy. So Michael Porter Jr. has not hit his full potential yet. Like Michael Porter Jr. could be like a Kevin Durant type of pure scorer at that small forward spot. So he didn't get the chance to really become that guy. So I know that Michael Porter Jr. has a great trajectory. 
and Jamal Murray is, is is a great scoring guard. But I, to be real, I have to really think about it. Like I don't see it. Just like I said in um on the last recap, I just don't see it for the Nuggets when I see the Timberwolves emerging, and Anthony Edwards is becoming a star right before our eyes. The Grizzlies are clear are clearly doing their thing. I think that the Suns now, granted, Chris they they showed me that Chris Paul still is that guy. And Chris Paul is a lot of the reason why they're winning the way that they are. But I believe that Devin Booker is learning how to win and learn, learning how to close out these games from Chris Paul. And I believe if you keep Aiden, and mind you, Robert Sauver is gone. So shout out to Robert Sauver being gone. <laughs> Robert Sauver, who was the owner or the or the governor of the Suns, he, he's a toxic, racist, sexist individual. He is gone. So now the Suns can get new ownership. And hopefully that ownership is more competent and more willing to spend money. They should re-sign DeAndre Aiden. He has definitely played up to his contract. He's actually been, he's not, he's not been a transcendent number one pick, but he's definitely been a producer. And he's probably going to be the first person in the 2018 class that had him and Trey and Luca. He's going to be the first guy to win a ring. Trey had a Trey had a great run last year, but Aiden's going to be the first one in this class to win a ring. So Aiden deserves that bag. Mikael Bridges got the bag. Devin Booker's going to get the bag. So it's like the Suns are going to be dangerous. So, I mean, the Nuggets could be up there, but I just think that the Warriors' run of dominance in the West is over. So you have to look at who's next. Timberwolves, Grizzlies. I think the Pelicans are going to be dangerous. Uh, the Clippers very well could get it together. I think that they will. The Lakers could wake up, but LeBron only has a few years left. Like, LeBron is closer to the end of his career than the beginning, and it's sad because I would love to see more of LeBron play, but LeBron got to live his life, and LeBron has to think about life after basketball. And LeBron can't be 40 – like, this ain't football. LeBron can't be 45 years old running up and down that court, man. That's not happening. LeBron going to hang it up probably at 40. Like, he passes Kareem's record. Like, he plays his son or plays with or against his son – He's hanging it up, I'm telling you, man. So you're not going to see a lot of, of the Lakers, and I'm not very confident in the competency of that organization. And who's to say the Rockets with, with Jalen Green that they don't turn up because the Rockets showed me some potential. So I'm not leapfrogging the Rockets over the Nuggets, but it makes me think. And I'm not saying that Denver won't make some moves, but it just makes me think. I wonder what Denver is going to be because the Pelicans could definitely be dangerous. But I want to talk about the award race really quickly before we go, because it was a lot that I saw in this awards race that I thought was very toxic. <laughs> and I feel as if this has to be the worst award season in NBA history. All right, so let's talk about the NBA award finalists. I'm going to read all of them off, and I'm going to give my reaction. So the finalists for the MVP is Giannis, Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic, Kia Defensive Player of the Year, Mikael Bridges, Rudy Gobert, and Marcus Smart, Kia NBA Rookie of the Year, Scotty Barnes, Cade Cunningham, and Evan Mobley, Kia NBA Most Improved Player, Darius Garland, John Morant, DeJounte Murray, Kia NBA Sixth Man of the Year, Tyler Hero, Cam Johnson, Kevin Love, NBA Coach of the Year, Taylor Jenkins, Eric Spolstra, Monty Williams, okay? So MVP, we knew that it was going to come down to this, and we know most likely when all the votes are tabulated, we know that Jokic is going to win because he had an amazingly great statistical season. Although Joel Embiid had the narrative with him, Joel Embiid's the scoring champion, like the first center to, win, to, to be scoring champion since Shaq, and he has the highest points per game average by center since, I believe, Moses Malone. So Joel Embiid was making history, and he was dragging that 76ers team with Ben Simmons holding protest. <laughs> like he was, he was able to drag them to like the number one seed for a second before he went down with COVID, and then came back and still was giving you buckets. I just don't understand why Joel Embiid wasn't really truly given consideration. But at the very least, he's a finalist. All right, Jason Tatum and Devin Booker had great cases. Jason Tatum came a little bit too late. And when you look at Devin Booker's play, I believe that Devin Booker should have got some consideration. But you're going against these three big, big men that are doing it. Like, they're dominating, you know? 
So Devin Booker, because of that, and because you have a transcendent player right next to you, fair or not, he didn't make that top billing, even though they had the best record in the NBA. But I want Joel to win it, but Jokic is going to win it. And that is, is what it is. Now, Kia, NBA Defensive Player of the Year, I never thought in a million years I would see Marcus Smart listed. Marcus Smart is a great defender, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to validate him. If he, if he wins, I actually would not be mad. But I never in a million years thought I would see Marcus Smart on any 2021-2022 NBA award finalist list for anything. Like, Marcus Smart is going to be first team all defense. So, shout out to Marcus Smart because I you you, you fooled me because I, I never would have thought you would have been on this list. So, I think he should win. I definitely do. Rudy Gobert is just there because Draymond Green missed a bunch of games. Because Draymond Green definitely would have been a finalist over Rudy Gobert. Mikael Bridges has a case, though. I think it's a two-way race between Mikael Bridges and Marcus Smart. But, and I think that you have to really take credence in the fact that Mikael Bridges and Marcus Smart guard the perimeter, and they guard your best perimeter player. Look at what happened on last night for both of them. Last night, you have Mikael Bridges. He's guarding both C.J. McCollum and Brandon Ingram switching possessions. Those, those are the two best perimeter players for the Pelicans. And then in the afternoon, you have Marcus Smart primarily guarding Kyrie Irving. Did Kyrie get 39? Yes. Did Kyrie get all 39 of his points on Marcus Smart? No. Okay? And it's a team game. Like, Marcus Smart was making it hard for Kyrie. Marcus, and like, you look at that game, Marcus Smart was making an impact by making it hard on Kyrie, and Kyrie wasn't just knocking down shots over Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart was suffocating him. And also, Marcus Smart, Marcus Smart was playing good switch defense on Kevin Durant because they were bodying Kevin Durant up and suffocating him. So if Marcus Smart wins Defensive Player of the Year, I won't be mad. Kia NBA Rookie of the Year, Kay Cunningham should have a case. But because his team, and this is a, an argument I, I was privy to on, on, on NBA Twitter, because they made an argument of this. They said that, hey, so Darko Militich should have won NBA Rick, and they're not being serious. It was, it was a joke. But Darko Militich, the, the Pistons won the championship that year, and LeBron did not make the playoffs. You had uh, the Nuggets with Carmelo Anthony. They didn't make the playoffs, but Darko Militich did, and he won a championship. So based off how people view how how records like you know account for uh, like how how awards placements go, almost like you see with Jokic, Darko Militic should have won then, right? Because we're not going on the play of how how the players are playing in their season. We're going off of the team record. So by that logic, I'm guessing Evan Mobley or Scotty Barnes should be the rookie of the year. But Kate Cunningham, him missing like the first, like what, seven, eight games, and then him coming in and being an effortless scorer, and then we see the trajectory that K can be on. Like, K can get buckets. Like, K is a tall guard. He can get buckets. He's a good playmaker. I think that K is going to be a great number one pick. His outlook is, outlook is going to shine bright. Now, do I think that Jalen Green might be the best professional? Like, at the end of the day, do I think Jalen Green has a higher trajectory than the rest of them? Yes. But I think that this 2021 class is going to be interesting. Because I think Cade is going to be a great pro. I think that Evan Mobley is going to be a great pro. I'm pretty sure in a few years, you're going to see Evan Mobley as a finalist for Defensive Player of the Year. I honestly believe that. And Scotty Barnes, he's playing in, in the playoffs right now. And Scotty Barnes has been a high-impact player for the Raptors, and one of the main reasons why they're the number five seed. But my thing is this. Kay Cunningham is a bucket. I think that Kay Cunningham should get real consideration for winning. But we all know most likely it's going to – it's a race between Scotty Barnes and Evan Mobley. We're going to see if people prioritize record over the impact on the season. Because if we're talking about the overall impact that Evan Mobley had on this team, Evan Mobley should win rookie of the year. But if we're going off of, hey, the record and who made the playoffs, that's going to be Scott, that's going to be Scotty Barnes. So it's going to be either Evan Mobley or Scotty Barnes. Take your pick. I don't think that either one is, is, is a bad case, but I do agree that Kate Cunningham should get a look, okay? Kate Cunningham should get a look at being rookie of the year. Kate Cunningham's going to be an all-star really soon. And I think he's going to he's going to turn the tide 
on the Pistons because the Pistons have a lot of good signs. They were playing some good basketball towards the end. It's just they didn't put that together for the totality of the season. I think as Cade grows into his game, they're going to be dangerous. Kia, most improved player of the year. This is more egregious. This is more egregious than the MVP. I'm going to tell you the reason why. Because at the very least, you can make the argument that Nikola Jokic is the MVP. But John Morant had had an MVP-esque season, and John Morant probably got some MVP votes. How is that fair? How is a number two overall pick, how is a number two overall pick get a chance to be most improved player when he's been playing at a high level his whole entire career? His second season, he beat the Warriors in the play-in and made the playoffs and took a game off the Jazz. Like, like, I just think that that's unfair. Jordan Poole stepped up. Jordan Poole had to step into the starting shooting guard role. Klay Thompson was not ready to come back. And, and with Jordan Poole as their starting shooting guard, the Warriors were the number two team in the West, only, only being rivaled by the Suns without Klay Thompson. Klay Thompson comes back. You think that Jordan Poole is going to get off his game. And Jordan Poole still is producing. And then Jordan Poole comes back in game one. And I know the vote's already in, but Jordan Poole comes in games, game one, scores 30 points. Like Jordan Poole, is, his, his trajectory is so bright. And y'all can't have him as a finalist for most improved player because you have two you have two all-stars here. Now you got three because Darius Garland was an all-star. But Darius Garland improved drastically from last year. And Darius Garland stepped up, and no one expected for him to have this type of season. But Colin Sexton went down, and Darius Garland turned up. So Darius Garland, out of this list of Darius Garland, John Morant, and DeJounte Murray should win. But DeJounte Murray has been dope. John Morant's an MVP player. I think that Jordan Poole should have definitely been up here. At the very least, because I understand the politics. Because all awards are politics. So you put Ja up here. Because Ja wouldn't have won an award either way. Ja wouldn't have won an award. So you put Ja up here because Ja didn't make the finalist for Kia NBA Most Valuable Player. And there's no other category to nominate Ja and reward him for his season. So you, you guys are giving him a reward by naming him Most Improved Player when Jordan Poole should, should have ran away with this. Or at the very least, Darius Garland and Jordan Poole should have been battling but Darius Garland, hands down, should win this. If Darius Garland doesn't win this, it is a highway robbery, period. John Morant is going to be an MVP one day. John Morant could have easily been an MVP finalist had he played more games this season. This is a highway robbery, and we can't stand for it. Like, the NBA awards people this year are on one. Kia NBA Sixth Man of the Year, y'all got it right. But we know Tyler Hero's going to win that. We know he is. Shout out to Kevin Love for getting that consideration. But coach of the year, right? So this ain't bad. I'm not mad at coach of the year. And I knew that Tyron Lue wasn't going to get consideration because of his team's record. But Eric Sposter should not be here. I understand he has the number one record, and Eric Sposter did some amazing things. But we got to show love to Ime Udoka. Because Ime Udoka, ever since January, for this whole entire year, 2022, he turned the Celtics around, and they've legitimately, over this time span, been one of the best, if not the best team in the NBA just this year. Not the whole season, but 2022. From January the 1st, 2022, to the end of the regular season, the Celtics were amazing, and they were able to surge from in the play-in to the number two seed. And Emil Doka doesn't get a coach of the year look. I think you got to give it to Monty because Monty should have won last year. Coach Monty Williams should have won last year. Y'all gave it to Tom Thibodeau because Tom Thibodeau brought the Knicks back for a year. Monty Williams should have won last year because Monty Williams took the Suns from out the playoffs to the NBA Finals. And I know you're judging off the regular season. They had an amazing regular season. They flipped the switch entirely. And you can put that on Chris Paul, but Monty Williams is the coach that's drawn up the sets. So Monty Williams is going to get a well-deserved Coach of the Year honor this year, but Ime Udoka should, should at the very least been nominated. I can't argue with Taylor Jenkins because the way that Taylor Jenkins was able to maximize the talent in that on that Grizzlies roster when Ja was out, 
They had no reason being 20 and five this year without job. They had no reason being honestly one of the better teams in the NBA without John Morant. They had no reason to be that, but they were. So Taylor Jenkins deserves that nod and deserves that respect. But Ime Udoka does as well. But maybe if Ime Udoka has that sustained level of success next year, he'll be a contender. But Monty Williams deserves to win hands down. But y'all are very interesting with these award picks, man. Awards are very political. But listen, y'all got it. Y'all got it. But I'm going to go on and let you go, <laughs> right? Uh, I'm going to try to be better during the weekday because it's going to be only, like, what, three games that are going to be on. It's going to be uh, really two games that are on at, you know, 7.30. You have one comes on at 8.30, and then you have, like, your 10, 30, your 10 o'clock game, right? So I'm going to try my best to be better at watching these games. I'm sorry. I will do better. It was just so much basketball, man. Oh, my God. I, I never knew I would OD on basketball, but I did this year, right? So listen, thank you so much for tuning in. We're going to be better. We're going to do better. Hey, listen, if you want to hear the individual segments instead of listening to the whole podcast, subscribe to Pulse Radio on YouTube. You can do that. I put up every game recap that I do as a singular video on YouTube. Now, if you can't find Pulse Radio because YouTube's playing with me, type in Pulse Radio Boston Celtics. Type in Pulse Radio and a topic that I talked about, Pulse Radio James Harden, and it most likely will come up. And if all else fails, type in Pulse Radio Angie Wandu. That's the founder of The Shade Room. Of course, you know I interviewed her on last year. YouTube's playing with me. Stop playing with me, YouTube, okay? (laughs) Like, y'all need to let Pulse Radio pop up when people search it but also follow pulse radio on tiktok and on twitter at pulse radio 100 and of course like i said on youtube just pulse radio but outside of that i will be better we're going to be talking about the games later on tonight and as always i will see you on the other side you're listening to pulse radio (laughs) 